Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a voice actor who is a fellow Arizonan. He has worked and continues to work in commercials, video games, and e-learning, but spends a majority of his time on audiobooks, having narrated several hundred, many in the romance genre. Sean Crisden, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. It is my very immense pleasure. Thank I'm, you. I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, I ha- I should tell everybody that when I when we got in touch a few weeks ago and uh, we're both in Arizona and we're only about, I think it's about 60 miles apart or so, I was thinking, mm-hmm. this would be great. I can do an, an in-person uh, speakeasy interview. But because of scheduling and because I don't have my space quite set up for that at this point, uh, it didn't work out that way. So I am sorry about that. But one of these days, when the next time I'm heading out Phoenix direction, we can definitely get together for a drink in person. We will do it. And see, that, that'll that pull me out of my crypt. And uh, I, I refer to myself as a misanthropic desert hermit. So <laughs> getting me out into the sunshine and where the other humans are, uh, that would probably do me good. Yeah, I uh, I look at that uh, frequently. Any excuse to get out of the booth and get together with other people can be a good thing when you're in this line of work. Right, because one of the things that we enjoy, it's one of the benefits of the job, but also one of the setbacks of it, is that we largely work in a vacuum. It's in a bubble. Yep. You know, it's pretty much by ourselves, especially when you're at a point where you're not having to travel into studios a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I'm lucky enough that I have ISDN and Source Connect and a tin can with a string on it or whatever the producer may want. Mm-hmm. And I can largely work from home in my underwear and just be an unshaven, unshowered mess. Yeah. And uh, my, my social skills are lacking. Yeah, so yeah, I completely agree. That's a major benefit and sometimes kind of kind of a downside too. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, it's uh, you know. So every then and again out in the fiery inferno that is southern Arizona <laughs> that I don't get me wrong, I love it. Yep, uh, yep. is is good for us. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So we can do that in person. In the meantime, we'll have to do it remotely, but uh, but since you are here in the speakeasy even virtually, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a wonderfully tall canister of 64 ounces of ice cold water. See, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm such a lightweight and I, I, I rarely drink. Uh, I think I have to take a drink to work up to taking a drink. It's that kind of situation. Uh, and, uh, I, I had some cheap wine the other night, which was Stella, you know, so I'm not a wine snob. My, my wife's, uh, one of her brothers is a, a, um, oh, what do you call him? A wine person. Oh, enophile. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. Yeah. And I can never, I can never remember it. I also <laughs> prefer wino, vagabond, a drunk, uh, high class drunk, I guess. But he, he, um, so he knows all about fine wines and and all of these things. And I said, he said, well, what did you drink? And oh, we're drinking Stella. So it's you know basically about ten buck chuck, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. And it tastes like juice. So that's right up my alley because <laughs> for me, alcohol tends to wreak havoc with my system. So I, uh, I wanted so desperately to be a, a suave whiskey drinker. Yeah. You know, uh, whiskey, yeah, have a nice whiskey, a little bourbon. But, uh, <laughs> oh boy, the things it does to my belly, I tell you. I, so, I understand, believe me. I yeah. have to be careful. Yep, yep. So I, I am less fun at parties than I could be. 
Well, plus the fact that uh, I believe that you said that you were going to be doing a little bit of work outside today. Was that correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. In fact, and, I'm already done, but I, I'll I'll try to ride those coattails and say, yeah, yeah, outside in the sun and well, midday. Perfect. Yeah. Since I'm only about 60 miles away, I mean, it's 105 here in Tucson. I assume it's a couple of degrees warmer there. And so I think that here this morning at 930, it was already over 100. And so uh, if you did any work at all outside, I think that having a 64-ounce jug of water is probably a good thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's reading 109 here now. And, hey, man, it's a dry heat. You know, that's what. <laughs> having... Yeah, like when you stick your head in the oven. <laughs> Pretty much. A convection <laughs> oven at that. You get that warm, brittle breeze yep. just dusting your eyeballs. <laughs> but it's... it's um, Having been on both coasts and lived on both coasts, I love this heat. Mm, it yeah. it doesn't feel hot for me until it's maybe over 110. And then wow. I'm saying, okay, it's getting hot. You know, the moisture is evaporating out of your eyes and your throat. And your, your limit's you can feel even it. higher than mine. I, I hear you when we moved here. I uh, We did love it uh, initially, and we still do. Uh, but my limit is about 100, 103 maybe. And mm. then, then I just kind of feel like, yep, it's, it's damn hot. So, yep. Uh, yep. so anyway, the, the water is probably a good choice. Uh, yes, I, sir. however, have been in an air conditioned house most of the morning. And so I am having a cocktail tonight. I am going to, um, join you in your water with a death in the Gulf stream. A, mm. uh, apparently this is a hangover cure that was invented by Ernest Hemingway, uh, way back in, well, I don't remember. So uh, early in the 19th, in the uh, 20th century, I believe. In any case, uh, I hadn't had this before, and I found it in a book, and I thought I'm going to give that a try. It's uh, it's gin and lime juice, a lot of lime juice, uh, almost as much as the gin, and mm. uh, Angostura bitters and a tiny bit of sugar. And so I, it's very very tart because the the lime juice is uh, there's so much lime juice in it compared to say a gimlet. And uh, so I can see how this could be a hangover cure. You could drink some of this and you're puckering up and kind of going, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's pretty <laughs> sour. And the, uh, the Angostura bitters give it a little bitter. Uh, I suppose the theory is that's going to be good for the gut after drinking too much the night before. I'm pretty skeptical, but uh, mm. I'm willing to go for it. And, uh, and it's pretty tasty. Sounds like a play. You, you've piqued my curiosity for that. You know, I, I, as a hangover cure at that, you know, I, I, I'm curious. I might have to whip one up and see what I think. I I'm will, not a big, big gin guy, but you know, I, I think I could handle it. I, I will send you the recipe. It's please, uh, it's, sir. Yeah. It's very interesting, and I love a good gin sour. My probably my favorite, my uh, favorite class of cocktail is is gin sours. Anything with uh, a lot of gin and quite a bit of lemon or lime juice. So, mm. uh, so it's a good choice. So anyway, Sean, delicious. thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Cheers. Cheers to you, sir. All right. So, uh, so we've talked a little bit about Arizona. Where are you from originally? I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, East Coast boy, and uh, was there a good portion of my life, 30 years or so oh, no uh, that I spent on the East Coast. So bouncing back and forth, lots of time in New York and New Jersey and just sort of that mid-Atlantic region. Mm -hmm. And uh I have a secret confession that I'll confess to you here. It's just you uh, and me. Nobody's listening. That's right. So just because we're good buds, I, I just, I'll break it to you that I, I always kind of wanted to be a cowboy. Oh, right? no so, kidding. Yep. Yep. I have an uncle who owned a ranch and had horses and, and, you know, he'd come in in the boots and the hat and, you know, just, just a cool guy smelling like dirt and sweat and <laughs> old spice and leather. 
you know, and I said, man, that that's cool. And I'd, so I'd, you know, watch a bunch of cowboy movies and John Wayne and then got into the Clint Eastwood stuff. So I always somewhere in the recesses of my mind, this little city boy thought, oh, man, it would be great to be a cowboy, just work a ranch and, mm-hmm. you know, but but the reality of the amount of work and mucking stalls and animal husbandry, I think that was what the uh, <laughs> the barrier of entry for me. That, that prevented me from really doing it. But when I married my wife, we had the, I, the fortune of saying, hey, if you could live anywhere in the country, where would you want to live? And we ruled out the north because eh, it's too cold, the south because eh, who needs humidity and bugs? And we're an interracial couple. So, And I typically like very rural areas. So I said, well, that, that may not be the best. We've lived on the east coast our entire life. And uh, so I said, well, I guess it's the southwest or California. And I had a friend who lived in, Cal- in um, Phoenix and he said, oh, come on out. You'll love it. So we went out and discovered that it was what I was missing my entire life. So we, no we had moved That's here. Great. Oh, yeah. That's great. I love, I, instantly I, fell in love. As, as a fellow transplant to uh, the desert southwest, I love hearing that. Oh, yeah. The Sonoran Desert, the only living desert in the world. <laughs> and I, it, And my wife loved it so much that before we actually moved, we flew back east to Philly and she cried. <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> she bawled. Now, for those of, of you who are familiar with the mid-Atlantic, Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, there I, I call it the mid-Atlantic attitude in that because of population density and prevailing ideas and societal norms, people are a little more, we'll say, caustic uh, oh. <laughs> in, in that region of the country than in other regions. Okay. Uh, you always know where you stand with folks. People are pretty direct and forward with you. And typically when you make eye contact with someone in the street, it's generally common courtesy that one of you has to mug the other or at least (laughs) spit in their general direction. uh, I'm partially joking. Yeah. Partially. Uh, But but it's, you know, that was home. So coming here and we came in February. So it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And going back to the, the filthy layers of snow and schmutz that, that are all back on the East coast at that time. Uh, she cried and, uh, we knew that, okay, we, we need to get out there. So we ended up being out here for six or seven years. And then I moved to LA, uh, for my career obviously. And then was there for three years and the, the yearning for the desert was too strong for me. No kidding. So, that's, that's yeah. great. Yeah, well, that juxtaposed against earthquakes, fires, mudslides, cost of living, population density. Uh, Southern California is awesome, but yeah. it's there. There's there's definitely that sunshine tax that you know. And I was freezing in the winter. You know, the wind would come up off the ocean. Good golly, man! I yeah. I can't I can't take it. I I need the desert. Now I so, understand having having grown up in L.A. and then uh, mm-hmm. lived in the Bay Area for. I don't know, 20, 23 years, something like that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I hear you. And people say, oh, but the climate in the Bay Area is so great. Why'd you move? But, uh, but yeah, uh, cold in the winter and it lasted yeah. oh, too man. long. So now I get a winter that's like, yeah, six weeks or so. And mm-hmm. uh, then I get a really long spring and a really long fall. And all I have to do to pay for that is put up with the summer. That's and, right. Uh, and so it, it's worth it. I, I hear you. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so you have uh, lived and and worked on the East Coast and the West Coast, and you ended up back here in the uh, desert Southwest. So you moved. You said that you moved to LA for your career. Uh, I assume that's the acting slash voiceover. Were you doing any on camera, or was it all voiceover? 
Well, it was for me being a male gigolo. I figured I had the best chances there. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was, I st- actually started, um, my, I guess that takes us to how did you get started in this business? Which kind of, it all loops together because I, my first actual gig, I was in corporate middle management and allowing my soul to be swallowed. And oh, wait, 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 wait. I didn't realize that. I thought that when, uh, when you were on the East coast, it was all entertainment. So when you were on the East coast, you were not doing acting voiceover entertainment, anything like that. Right. I had just started. I was, um, how do, where do I even begin? I'm so excited. Oh. <laughs> I, I was doing corporate middle management for a nonprofit human service organization. And I was also playing in a band. So I was playing in a rock band, guitar and vocals. So I always had the creative outlet. And when the band fell apart after almost 10 years, Oh, that's a long uh, time for a band. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was part of my crisis was I, I didn't know what to do. I had no identity at that point mm-hmm. because that was my, my creative outlet for me. I, I, I'm a creative person, so I need to have an outlet with which to expel that creative energy or I go boom. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, there's no choice for me. So when that happened, I, I said, what am I going to do? And, uh, here I had all of this uh, recording equipment and I had, you know, a home studio and, and I said, well, I have all of these things and I, I have some acting skill. I said, I've, I've heard about this voiceover thing. <laughs> and, and that was November of 2009, I, I think. Oh, so not and, that uh, long ago. Right, right. It's been, been about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, oh, well, I should probably try to do something like that. And I had been doing some on-camera acting uh, at the time for fun. And I, I had just come out of um, uh, The Last Airbender. Because I'm a martial artist, and I was doing uh, chore- choreography and stunt work in the film and, and oh, fighting great. and running around being cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And mm-hmm. so I, a lot of folks said, oh, well, you should get into voice acting. You have the voice for it, and yada, 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 and you have acting chops. And I said, oh, maybe that would be fun. Maybe that would be good. And, and it just so happened that while I was in the band, uh, I was offered a, a job to say, hey, you can come in and you can narrate this product for us. I love your voice and your personality and, and all these things. And I said, uh, sure. I'd never done it. Had no idea about what it entailed. And I was able to go into the studio. Took me all of maybe 30 minutes. Uh, I just kind of winged it. You know, I was no stranger to the studio. So that helped with the pressure of having to just go in and instead of having a, a separate physical instrument, the instrument was my voice and I, mm-hmm. okay, read this script and make it sound interesting. And blah, blah, blah. so it was, that was my first voiceover foray into the field. And I said, wait a minute, I, I did this and I spent 30 minutes and this paycheck, uh, looks much better than 30 minutes at my day job. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a heck of a lot more fun. Yeah. So that kind of got the ball rolling. So by November, 2009, I, I had, had started diving in, doing as much research as I could and trying to build as many bridges as I could, find a mentor and sort of say, what is this all about? And at and, that point, you still had the day job. Right, right. So I had my day job up until May of 2010. So my my ability to go full-time was relatively quick mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'm... I, I am a dedicated hard worker, uh, with an entrepreneurial spirit and having come out of management ish type roles and having decent, I would presume interpersonal skills. I, I can schmooze mm-hmm. people yeah. and, you know, so at pounding pavement, make the phone calls and that, that new email thing that everybody was using yeah. and, uh, <laughs> 
and uh, I got a, a lot of work. And my first job was for an audiobook. My first official job after I said, I'm going to be a, a voice actor. I'm a thespian. I have these skills. I'm going to attempt to do this to, to make money and make a living. So I, uh, it was f- to narrate an audiobook. And I'd never done it. I had no idea. It, it was terrible. I apologize profusely to the author who I still work with to this day. <laughs> um, it, it was a great book. It, it was my performance was terrible because I didn't know enough about what I was doing and how to effectively convey my role as a storyteller and not step on the story and characterization. And I, I think one of the reviews or multiple reviews, I, I had to stop reading them for my own sanity, uh, commented on one of the characters sounding like they belonged on the Muppet show. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's good time. Gotta, it's good time. gotta love that kind of review. Well, that's <laughs> great. So, um, so your first, uh, th- this is really interesting to me because you are a voice actor who started with your first job in audiobooks, and mm-hmm. now you're doing other types of voice acting. So I definitely want to get into that. Um, but, uh, but so your first one was with an audiobook, and even though you look back on it now and you think that was not very good, um, you have continued and presumably gotten better, and you are still doing audiobooks. So it had to have been a good experience in some way. It was. It was. I, I'm, of course, we are always our own worst critics. Yeah, absolutely. Other than whoever wrote that review. And <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and that's often our, our biggest obstacle is our own crippling self-doubt, mm-hmm. of course, you know, yeah. with the things that we do. But I, I try to remain as objective as possible. And, and I have my wonderful, she was my girlfriend then and now who's now my wonderful wife. And she was always in my corner. You know, having that peer support group and and being able to have someone play cheerleader for you can be helpful in in those situations where uh, you're not hitting wall after wall and obstacle after obstacle of no, no, no. Because a lot of our job is rejection. Let's, mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to come to terms with that, that really our job in many ways is auditioning. That's the job. Mm-hmm. The gravy is when you book it. You know, so you you book a gig and okay, now I get gravy. But if I audition and a lot of times it goes out to the ethers and whether you're going in front of a casting director, you're using an online casting service or you're auditioning remotely for your agent or for whoever, whatever clients you're banging down their doors for. Sometimes you never hear back. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you never hear back. Yeah, and and, and, and that can mm-hmm. really feed that self-doubt that, that you're talking about. Um, right. And, and I think personally, I think that it's really important to find things that can help you pull out of that self-doubt, whatever it is, whether it's just a, you know, a mantra that you get up and you say every morning or, uh, you know, trying to remind yourself somehow. I, I still remember one of the early voiceover classes I took. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was for long form narration. It wasn't for audiobooks. It was for um, I, I don't remember some kind of corporate thing. But uh, the the point of this one exercise that we did was, OK, this is going to be for somebody who speaks a foreign language. And so you're helping them learn English. And and so uh, so you need to go really slowly. But you also have to make it sound interesting, even mm-hmm. though you're speaking very, very slowly. So. Right. So we did it. And um, and, you know, we listened back to mine and and the instructor was was talking about, um, you know, well, for this to work, you have to you have to make this happen. You have to make that. Happen. I, I think she was she was talking in between 
the the playbacks of what we did mm-hmm. as students. And she was like, well, you you know, you have to do this and you have to do that. And, and it's difficult because of this reason and that reason. Okay, let's listen to Rich. And so then she played mine. And she said, so how do you think you did? And I said, well, given everything that you just said, I think not bad. I mean, it sounds like crap, mm-hmm. but, you know, given, <laughs> given everything that you just said about how difficult this is that I wasn't really kind of aware of early on, uh, I think I did pretty good. So I, I personally think it's really important to pull whatever positive you can uh, from mm-hmm. whatever you're hearing from somebody else to kind of, uh, you know, stem the tide of the self-doubt flood. Right. Yeah. Well, self, self, self-doubt is, it's just, it's constantly present and prevalent. And for us as performers and talent, a very important part of it is realizing uh, and having confidence in what we do, the way that we do it, to know that we are uniquely ourselves. There is no one else who can do what we do the way we do it. Mm-hmm. And that, that means that we have a unique, uniquely individual skill. And circling back to the idea of, uh, when I said, Oh, well, you know, auditioning is our job and, and booking is gravy. We can't carry all of that with us in the sense that every audition you're, you're biting your nails and mm, twirling your evil villain mustache, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're just waiting for this to have, you can't, uh, nope. and you would go insane. You, mm-hmm. You'd basically turn into me because most people tell me I'm crazy, but you, you, you just can't, you have to be able to release it and let it go. And, and, you know, there's some elements of, of mindful, mindfulness and practice within it, but you have to understand that even if you book the job or even if you don't, and this, this sounds counterintuitive, it doesn't necessarily have to do with you. Right. In the, in the sense that, and this is especially true, um, uh, I found on for on camera work, but it, it works when you're doing VO auditions too. You may just happen to sound like the casting director's partner's cousin, or or their you sound like their uncle that they remember that they hated, yep. or you know that that there's some other loose association. So much the, of casting has nothing to do with you. <laughs> absolutely, and and we have to remember one of the important things. And and I have a whole I have a whole method that I talk about because people often ask me, well, how do we do what you do? And and but and part of but part of that is making that realization and that knowing that you need the skill to get in the door, but after that. It's the relationships, the networking, who did you know, were you referred by someone, do you sound like their uncle's third cousin who had the, the creepy beard with birds living in it? <laughs> I, I, you know, it, all of these things matter because we're, we're interacting with other humans. It's not as if it's, you know, it's a machine who's okay, talent three, four, seven, and you're, yeah. you do your thing and they're looking yeah. for it. So all of those human factors come into play as well. So celebrate the bookings, but also understand that on the other end of that, the, the things that you don't book, and that's most of the things we have, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have, a, you have, you're hot for a while and then you, you say, Oh, I haven't booked anything in a while. Um, to know that it's not necessarily you. It's so to beat yourself up over it is, is sort of pointless in that regard because you do what you do, have confidence in doing what you do the way that you do it. That's your job. And then put it out there and then keep doing it. Just move on, learn as you can, continue to evolve and grow. You know, we want to, we don't want to stagnate. We want to have scalable growth uh, within our skill set and hopefully within our fiscal viability as well. And to be able to continue to go, but don't, 
don't just kind of rest on your haunches and stagnate and don't beat yourself up over, oh, I didn't book this. You know, I've, I've had so many auditions go out where I said, I was perfect. Mm -hmm. That was perfect. I, I could where where, you know, you could do no better for me. And the, this, this sounds ridiculous. That's good enough. Yeah, no, I, knew I, I totally understand. You yeah. did your best, whether you book it or not. And sometimes you book, you, you do the, you have one of those set, those auditions where you say, man, that was, that was spot on. I can do no better. And you book it and you're like, I knew it. <laughs> I was the best. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there are many times when it's the exact opposite. You feel that it was fantastic and never book it. And then the worst or, well, the, the most interesting part is you'll, you'll hear the spot or the. You'll see the the game or hear who the chosen talent was. You say, that's nothing like what I was going for. And you, you start yep. to make those comparisons. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can't do that either because, again, it, it's not necessarily predicated upon who we are and what we do. It's what the potential client uh, hears. Right. And, and, and what it's not perspective they have. Exactly. And it's not even so much what they say they want, because you can read specs and then you hear that spot, like you were saying, it's like, that's nothing what I was going for. Cause what I was going for was, I'm pretty sure what they said they wanted. And then right. they hear, they heard something else and they go, Oh no, that's what I really want. And mm -hmm. you have no insight into that. That's right. You're not in their head. And a lot of times that's, that's why I tell people that come to me for coaching. And when I talk to other talent, rely on your gut so you read the sides and you read the specs and say, okay, they're looking for blah, 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 blah. All right. And you, you, you lay into that and you deliver it. And then if your gut says, but I have this other thing that's really pulling at me, that's gnawing at me. And you feel that this could be, even though it's completely against it's, it could be the antithesis of what the specs were. Mm -hmm. I will typically, if it's permissible and I know that I can do it and it's not a really long uh, audition where I'm going to take up too much time of whoever's listening to it. Uh, I'll, I'll do a, a second take. Sure. If it's, you know, and say, just throw it in there. And sometimes even in the audition, I'll just say, Hey, here's something weird. Take two and just go right into it. Kind of, kind of frame it that way. Mm -hmm. And I've actually booked more of those than I thought I would be able to on the, the, the risk taken. Right. You know, on, because on, they heard it and they thought, oh, this guy's got a great idea. Better than my idea. I'd never tell him that, right. but better than my idea. But and, I'll say that this is, yeah, this, this works with the copy and yeah, we'll look at that, yeah. you know, and, and as a person I've done casting and I, I've done directing for voice talent and being on the other side of it and getting that experience of, okay, I'm listening to 400 auditions and you know, you're, I'm only human. You start tuning out after 15, 20 what makes your audition stand out? Everybody's following the specs perfectly, so now they all sound the same, mm -hmm, right? right? So right. You, you just come into the monotony of listening to that. But then somebody takes a risk, takes a chance, has a different perspective that just, just it's just enough to, to make it pop and stand out. And you say, hmm, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to put that in, in the maybe pile. Yeah. You know, it's, we're going to come back and listen to this. So, so it, there are a lot of different ideas for auditioning and, and the ways you think, well, how can I book this and increase your booking ratio and you can book more. You know, we see a lot of, um, workshops and mm -hmm. talent talking about how, how to, to win that. the audition. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. pretty much. And there's, mm -hmm. there's many ways to do it and you have to find what works with you and, and what represents you and is still authentic, maintains your integrity to who you are. So you're not 
going out too far on a limb or something that you can't reproduce honestly and realistically Mm -hmm. within the context of of whatever the audition slash session is. So a lot of people lose sight of that too. They'll go do something totally crazy and (laughs) then can't reproduce it or they can't make it feel comfortable in the session. They book it and yay! And then you go in there, oh man, that took me an hour for the audition and now I'm supposed to come (laughs) into the session. And so we we have to be mindful of that as well. So it's always whatever works in line with who you are and you have to know who you are yeah. to, to really, really make it work. And to be honest, because that honesty comes through whether people realize it or not the, for the listener or for the talent or performer, uh, you can, you can tell. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, I totally agree. So, uh, so your first job was an audiobook, and then get, just getting back to the, the mm-hmm. work history mm-hmm. and then, uh, so what happened after that? Did you think, well, this went really well and uh, so I'm going to keep doing audiobooks. Or did you look at other types of voiceover and come back to audiobooks later? Well, I, I actually thought that wasn't too bad. You know, I, I had a good time and, and the reviews were, were pretty good overall for as green as I went into it. And I said, I could do more. So then I, based upon that, I started getting more audiobooks from that publisher. And then there was another publisher because I I'd started doing... Uh, by the time I had three or four under my belt, suddenly, oh, th- here's a new narrator and, you know, it works out pretty well. And the genre was erotic romance. So it was uh, a stretch for me in that, I, oh, I could do erotic romance. I, hey, sex sells. I like porn. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and so it was it was easy. And and I discovered that it's a genre of literature that I've. Never had I at that time I didn't have much exposure to it, and I, I was a sci-fi fantasy guy, uh, fiction you know stuff that I would read when I would read, and then I started discovering hey I I really dig this you know this is I, I like the happy endings I I like the the particular beats that are indicative of that genre so it, it just it feels good and I guess that's why there's uh, steady and growing in fact readership. Uh, or listenership in the audiobook world for it. Mm-hmm. So it, it really piqued my interest that way. But I was all, all I wanted to really do was make funny voices in video games. <laughs> that was that was the goal. You know, I, I was the kid, and you want to do cartoons and, and animation and video games. So I'm, I, I'm pretty I, sure that is not uncommon in aspiring voice actors. Yeah, well, we get a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and especially if you're into anime. So you, you say, oh, I want to do dubbing or I want to, uh, you know, go and, and work for Funimation or, or, you know, any of these companies that it's actually a really small world <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that you'll, you, you find and, and getting in in that regard that way is pretty challenging. No doubt. Yeah, but I, I, I ended up looking at, I, I'm a big gamer, uh, started with a, in television, Atari 2600, uh, you know, in the very early 80s. And I remember those days, since. Sean. I remember those days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> not not to date ourselves because, you know. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I'm it's, certainly not old. It's, I, uh, it, it's not like I had a Pong game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Good old times. I, well, I, I still have remember. a lot of that stuff. I actually ended up collecting a lot of it and mm-hmm. saving it. But I... So I, I've always been a big gamer and I always wanted to do, especially as games became advanced enough to allow voice work in them mm-hmm. other than just some horrible did it digitized artifact of something. And uh, so I wanted to do video game work. So what I actually started doing was, and this was, 
2010, um, I started pounding the, the doors and, and making phone calls and emailing every video game developer and producer I could find. And, you know, it's a lot of them obviously go through agencies and they find their talent. And I, I was just pestering the heck out of everybody mm-hmm. and, uh, but trying to be polite, you know, but just trying to build those relationships. And I, I started finding success with the then fledgling, uh, mobile game market. Mm. And so there were a lot of developers who were making mobile games, had smaller budgets, didn't know, want to go through an agency and, and I said, Hey, you know, I can do that. You need North American voice talent, need a bunch of characters. You need a lot of accents and di- dialects. Okay, sure. I can do all of that. And I, I can take it and I can do post-production. I can help you and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. You know, so selling the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually, at that time, it was very, very fortunate timing for me because the, the industry was sort of growing and mobile gaming was just taking off to sort of become legitimate, uh, as a form of, of gaming. And, uh, I got in and built great relationships with, uh, a good number of developers, some of which I still do game work for now, you know, 10 years later. That's that's uh, that relationship part of this business. Extremely important. It it can't, it cannot be overstated how important building relationships are. And Mm -hmm. for me, you know, I'm an introvert. I misanthropic desert hermit. Don't like the people, <laughs> the humans. You know, I gotta, I gotta work up to to being social, and mm-hmm. then I need a day to recover afterwards. <laughs> and as a friend of mine puts it, you don't people well. That's right. Uh, well, usually, what I tell my my wife is, "Okay, we got to go. I'm all peopled out. <laughs> you know, I, totally when, I, when I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so it's and that actually started and I was fortunate enough to work with some developers who actually had some great award-winning titles they went on to make them and yeah I'd like to think in part because of my voice work <laughs> but it that that happened so then then the emails start coming in because other folks want to replicate that and they look at it oh what's the formula okay they did this type of game and they had this voice talent oh, let's see if we can get that voice talent that was good stuff and and do this so then so then the emails started coming in the phone started ringing and then it's just the idea of how do I maintain this momentum? Mm-hmm. And the idea was, well, we keep doing the work. We do a darn good job. We make folks feel very good about everything that we've done and working with them and about themselves. And we keep building. And, and that was, which is still my, the way that I operate. I, if you have a session with me for anything, I want you to leave the session feeling bet much better than you did going into it. Mm. And I want you to feel good about everything. So it's the idea that it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's work, of course, but we're going to have a really good time. We're going to be very smooth and efficient while enjoying ourselves mm-hmm. and, you know, make it, make, make it something Let's say that was, that was great. Every part of that was great. So finding a way to be able to present that way, whether you're doing a remote session, it's IDN, ISDN, you're in studio. In studio is great because then I can really schmooze, you know, mm-hmm. and get to go in and especially the commercial stuff. Because, you know, if you do the game stuff, if you're not doing ensemble recording where you're recording in a group with other talent, typically the engineer's there, the copywriter who, or the script writer may be there, and there may be some one other person there sometimes. Uh, but it's not usually a lot of people. When 
for commercial stuff or even some of the industrial stuff you go in and boy, oh boy, the copywriters there, the interns there, two of the stakeholders, some producer, somebody who wandered in off the street. I don't, but it seems like it's everybody, everybody's there and you want to know names. You want to be friendly and polite to everyone. And that's something that I see a lot too, is that people go in and they have this, it's not their reputation, but it's their ego that precedes them. Leave your ego at the door. Yeah. And you're here to, to do a job. You're, you're hired talent and you want folks to feel good and have fun, but it's not, Oh, <laughs> did you remove all the purple M&Ms from the jar for me? <laughs> you know, I, you, you want to humble yourself in that regard and be nice to everyone. You know, I've, I've seen people go in and, and really talk down to whoever's working the front desk or the secretary that's there or who, and I said, really? And I actually had a situation where, um, I think it was, was it here where there was someone at a studio where they were the receptionist at the studio and I'd always see them and we'd always joke around and, you know, and as it turned out, they ended up moving into casting Mm. and they became a casting director and remembered me (laughs) and we always had a good time. So it was, it was an easy jump. So I'll call Sean. Sean can do, I know Sean can do this. Yeah. And, but again, that goes back to networking and building relationships, not burning bridges. So always, and you hear it all the time, but people don't necessarily act on it. Be kind to everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't, don't think you come in there and you, you have on your aviator shades and you're there and so cool, hair slicked back, ready. To, yeah. You know, there's, you're, you're a person just like everybody else. And yep. just. I, be I, humble, love, have fun. I, I love that advice. Be nice to everyone because you don't know who someone is a lot of times. That's right. Um, even if you see them in a certain place at a certain time, you'll have an impression that they're this person, but could be that they're, you know, related to somebody who you're That's actually currently right. working with, or oh, there's somebody boy. who's about to get promoted to be the person who's going to cast, or you never know. And it's, it's just, I mean, just in life in general, just be yeah. nice to people. <laughs> well, one of my tenets for living is cultivate and share happiness. Just your general life, like just, just be happy. There's enough strife and, and turmoil out in the world where you, you as an individual don't need to be a part and a generator of it mm-hmm. and just help make the world a slightly better place, Yeah, you know, yeah, great, and, great and especially advice. for folks that are in LA, you know, you're in, in LA, I can't tell you how many times I met someone. It's such a, it's, it's a, it's a big town, but it's very small. Sure. So everybody, you know, knows somebody else and, and people would walk around and I'd go to a lot of the industry parties or just hanging out with folks and they're talking trash on someone for some odd reason, just spreading negativity. And, and they're telling it to someone who is only one or two people removed from that person. And they don't know that. And then they tell them this and then there's all this drama. Yep. People, people just be positive. Come. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't, we, we have enough of that. You know, yep. let's just be positive. We don't need to spread negativity at all yeah. really. But nope, I, some, I hear some you. folks thrive on it, man. They, they thrive on it, but I it's, hear you. you know, so, so, be good that, and do good. so that was when, uh, so you were just describing getting into the video game stuff, which you still do. And you still work with people that you worked with then while you were doing that. I mean, uh, a lot of times in all different aspects of voiceover, it's not like you have work continuously. So while you were doing that, getting your foot in the door, starting to build those relationships in uh, the video game world, were you still continuing to do audiobooks? 
Absolutely. So everything is moving concurrently. All right. That's, because, so that, that's what I thought, given the number of titles that you have, that right. this is probably something that you kept up with along the way. Now, I mean, I know people who have done a few hundred titles in just a few years, but um, given the fact that you were moving into other areas of voiceover, I assume that you were continuing to do audiobooks as well as getting your foot in the door in, in video games. Absolutely, because I, I wanted to make sure that uh, I could eat and keep the lights on. <laughs> oh, yeah, kind of important, kind of. Yeah. Uh, but it's I was fortunate enough to position myself in such a way that I could keep taking work from different publishers and producers in terms of the audiobook work. And for those of us who do audiobooks, we know that it is very time intensive. You are spending a mm -hmm. lot of time in the booth. Yep. compared to say going in to do commercial work or, or VO for the video game stuff and the character work, like you go in an audiobook for folks who don't do it, but are considering it, it's challenging mm -hmm. because of the time investment and dollar per hour involved. I can go in and do, you know, 15 hours in the studio for an audiobook and make the same that I would make in 20 minutes doing commercial copy. Right. So uh, there's a, don't expect that you're going to get filthy stinking rich. Now I make a great living off of audiobooks alone. You know, that's about 70% of my workload these days, mm -hmm. but it, it took a while to get there and it is a lot of work. It's a, you realize you're on for, you know, six hours a day, just making that happen. You're performing. Right. For that amount of time. So, so 70%. So would you say that that has been, um, uh, pretty steady the entire time you've been working in voiceover or has the amount of time that you spend on audiobooks gone up and down within that time? It's fluctuated, but not by a great amount. So, um, so you, so for most of the time you've been doing voiceover, the majority, you know, with a few minor changes here and there has been in audiobooks. Right, right. Oh. I would say that I would say that that 70% number overall mm -hmm. covers the audio the the, the percentage of audiobook work versus video games, commercials, uh the e-learning work. Because and that's one of the great things now is that the audiobook work is rigidly strenuously steady. For at this point, you know, I've I've won, oh boy, I don't, five earphones awards, mm -hmm. and I've had two nominations for Audis, and so I, I have a a reputation within the audiobook world. And right now, as of July the twenty seventh, I'm booked through February of next year. Wow, that's fantastic. So if I if I didn't take another commercial or another video game, I would still survive. <laughs> now, now when you, when you do your scheduling, cause I know this is important to a lot of my listeners when it comes to scheduling pretty far in advance. And I know many people who do, who are booked out months in advance. Mm -hmm. When you do that, are you thinking to yourself when somebody comes to you, I know that you've done work for Harper and Tantor, uh, I'm sure other publishers as well. Um, when, when somebody comes to you, Tantor comes to you and says, well, we've got this book, uh, can we book you at such and such a time? Are you thinking to yourself, well, I also need to make sure that I leave enough spare time so that if a commercial comes up or a video game that I'm interested in, I have time for that. Absolutely. All right. 
And, and that is, is paramount. I know, uh, Andy had a, uh, a panel talking about making time for <laughs> yourself, because mm-hmm. particularly for audiobook narrators, we can be inundated with the work. Uh, dep- and depending on how far you get into it, because I do a lot of post-production too, I try to separate post-production from projects that I actually work on. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, just in terms of the narration, it, it's very time-consuming and it's very draining. And I, I only realized this recently that I said, wait a minute, why am I always so exhausted? You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I work legitimately four to six hours a day, you know, of, of actual work. And then you do a lot of admin work. And then there's the the networking that that's still very much important and mm-hmm. keeping up your skills. But I said, why am I tired? I'm not hauling bananas down at the docks. And it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it was just a, and I, when I say relatively recently, I mean, within the last month or two, I said, wait a minute, you know, I, I narrate these books. I'm basically on for that amount of time in the booth every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm the kind of fo- person where I, typically work every day. My wife has to beat me with a whip and, and a chair to, to make me take a day off. And it's, I am a workaholic. And you know, when you work for yourself and you run your own business, you know that if you don't work, you don't necessarily get paid. The more you work, the more you get paid, yada, yada. So there's always this incentive to yep. keep going. Mm-hmm. And it can be difficult, you know, especially for those of us who work largely from home. I'm 90% from my home then other than going out to a studio, you can, you can always do more. Yeah. So you have to find the balance. Well, I'm here. Yeah. I, I might as well <laughs> do a little bit more. I got a couple hours. Exactly. So it, it, it's very important to find the balance and it's different for all of us, but I'm just now getting to the point of where I'm getting a weekend day off and to say that I, I'm, I've actually booked, uh, really starting next month, actually. So we're, we're right right brand spank and new for it, where I'm willing to book two days off between books. And then I make sure that I give myself a weekend mm-hmm. so that I have a legitimate weekend. And yeah, it's Friday before it meant nothing to me. Right. I, <laughs> you're still working. Everybody's yeah. going out partying. No, what are you I, gonna do? I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna I totally hear you. We, my wife and I just started doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a, a couple of months ago saying, well, you know, it just feels like we're always focused on, I mean, she doesn't do what I do, but she's got her own business. And, uh, and it just felt like we're always focused on this. So I was thinking maybe we could just take one day a week and say, that's our weekend. And we can't can't do any work on that day. And it has been really helpful. Now it hasn't been a hundred percent. A couple of things Mm -hmm. have come up here and there, but, but when we went into it, we agreed, okay, we're just going to try this out. And if something comes up, I'm not going to worry about it. But if stuff comes up like constantly every single week on that day, right, then right. let's take a harder look at making it more definite. But so, so, so far it's worked out great. And, and I'm hoping that sometime in the next six months to a year, we can actually say, let's have an actual two day weekend awesome. every, every week. I don't care if it's Saturday and Sunday, but right. you know, take, take two days instead of one. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but <laughs> because, because like you say, I mean, when you're running your own business, it's, it's so easy to get wrapped up in it and just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm here. I could do this. I'll, it won't take that long. I'll just, I'll sit down and I'll do this. And then yep. three, three hours later, you know, you feel like, okay, well now I, I didn't get that me time. That's so, right. Yeah. So I, trying, I totally trying to you. establish hours, you know, usually my, my goal is to be in studio by 9am and I typically try to say, let me leave the studio 
between four and five, unless I'm brutally under deadline. So that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, a semblance of a normal working schedule. Yeah. And, you know, I take a lunch, which is usually 20 to 30 minutes, and then I come back over and then get back right back to it. But being able to schedule yourself and knowing what you're doing and when and not overwork. Because I, for the first, I would say the first three years, I didn't take a single day off. There was no vacation. There was no, I, I, and I worked... Oh man, 12 to 16 hours a day. Yeah. Easy. Not, not the first Easy. time I've heard that. Yeah. And, but because I was so driven, I didn't want failure to be an option, you know, mm-hmm. the old, the idea of that. So I was so driven to make it happen and it, and it worked. And I, I, but I wouldn't advise people to do that because it, it is at great cost. Yep. It's, you know, your personal life, your sanity, your physical and mental well-being are very, very important. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to take care of the machine. Your body is now your instrument as a voice talent. Yeah. And it must be healthy. It must be in good working order to, in order to perform, especially if you're doing audiobooks or long-form narration. That is a marathon, kids. Yeah. So, you know, you, you need to maintain consistency. You need to be healthy. You have to have appropriate breath control. So your cardiovascular health needs to be up and up and on par. I mean, there it's some things that folks don't consider, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna, <laughs> it's, you know, you're not just doing one line or a tag on a commercial. You're, you are weaving a world and telling a story. Yeah. Yeah, no, very true. So, uh, so within audiobooks, uh, you mentioned that you were you had kind of early on kind of carved out this this niche in uh, erotic romance. Would you say that that is still your niche? Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's the majority <laughs> oh, yeah. of the audiobook work that you the, do. Well, it's it perpetuates itself in that the majority of the work, uh, probably sixty percent, is is romance and erotica, mm-hmm. and. I enjoy nonfiction. I, like I said, I love fantasy, sci-fi. I'm actually a huge horror fan, and I, I've only done, boy, a handful of of horror. Hmm. So I, I, I think I'm going to change that, you know, because uh, of course now I'm at a point where I can pick and choose the titles I work on and mm-hmm. and and what I do, and I think I'm going to now lead myself further into my personal joys and choices because you know a lot of times a publisher or a producer will say hey we have these books you know can you fit them in would you be interested in doing them and i'll i'll look at them and i'll read the blurb and say yeah yeah that sounds good let's let's book it mm-hmm. you know and very rarely do i say no there are a handful of um authors that i i'm not a fan of of their writing style or character situations or um just the, you know, I rarely say no, mm-hmm. but so, you know, everything and again I do and booking it out, you know, I, the only things I don't like working on or anything that, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's audiobooks, commercials, whatever it is, nothing that promotes hate, discrimination, senseless propaganda, uh, anything that basically, again, sets out to not make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so those are the things that I, I typically turn down. I, I briefly flirted with political ads and things. If I felt the candidate was a sensible representation of what could actually work in politics, but that didn't last long because it's hard to find those. Kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so agreed. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that was a no. So that's typically a no. But, uh, but so the majority is still romance. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I would say easily half of what I do now is romance. So it's that that's that's the main majority in it. And I enjoy it. So I, I can't say that I, I'm not 
not liking it. But I, but for variety's sake, I, I like to mix it up. Sure. Yeah. Do you do any nonfiction? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done uh, a ton of biographies, um, a couple um, books actually that are uh, were written by mil- former military uh, who sort of recounting their experiences. Uh, as members of the armed forces, which are some fascinating stuff. There's a good number of biographies and things. Um, one that really got me was, Oh man, I wish I could remember the title. It was based on the worst submarine disaster in U S history. And, um, it was just, it was one of those things that was good fun to geek out on because it was, wasn't that the hunt for red October? (laughs) (laughs) Worst. That wasn't the worst. That was the best submarine disaster. (laughs) (laughs) And it, um, and which I love the soundtrack to the hunt for red October. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember the title. I'm doing it a disservice. I apologize to the author, no, and no, the it's publisher. Fine. but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Cause I could kind of geek out on it a little bit. Not that I'm a crazy, you know, submarine guy, but it was fun <laughs> diving into that world. But that, you know, so that's kind of fun too. And then, but the romance is, is sort of home for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know the genre, I know the beats, I know what it feels like a lot of times with a, a lot of the romance books, when I get them and I start the book I, from the first chapter, okay, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, you know how it's going to play itself out. Mm-hmm. And, um, which also for one of the things that I did that blew people's minds and I couldn't understand it. And, and I hope, hopefully now folks do this more often. I had so many books coming through that I ended up, this was, no, it's been five or six years now. Uh, I ended up hiring a prepper who, uh, so here, since it's just you and me, Rich, I'll, I'll tell you the secret, um, (laughs) that I, I have a prepper who preps the books and reads, pre reads the books, makes a cliff notes version for me with chapter summaries, character descriptions, any dialect accent notes and any vocabulary pronunciation queries Mm -hmm. and then sends that to me. So every book I've narrated in the past five or six years has been a cold read. So it's, people were shocked and I said, really? I said, but I get so many books. I don't have the time to read them. Yeah, and I, I, I would, uh, you know, some somebody's going to hear that, and they're going to say, "See, so people can cold read a book," and and I would caution against assuming that mm-hmm. because what you just described isn't really a cold. Right, read. it's not I a. Mean, it, I've never seen the words in that order, but right. I know I know the punchline. <laughs> right, and you know, <laughs> you know the it's characters like telling a joke. And, right, yeah. and you know, so and I have a, a chapter by chapter summary, so I know exactly what the story is, yeah. where it's going, the tone and intention. So you, I, I will admit, I I might have done a handful of books as pure cold reads. I'll admit it. Okay. It was hell on earth. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, you end up taking a lot longer because you haven't prepped, and then you're on chapter seven. And you're like, oh no, this guy is German. Yep. He has a German accent. So yep. I, I absolutely don't do that. You will shoot yourself in the foot. The only way I could even fathom doing a true cold read at this point would be a nonfiction title that uh, is basically just rattling off facts and figures. But even then, you're probably going to have a ton of pronunciation query yep. look. Yeah. So there, there's, there's always something about yeah, doing a yeah. cold read and I, I do the same thing. I caution people. Yeah. Not a good idea. Never yeah, a good idea. There, there, there are degrees. And so as, um, 
As somebody said in a workshop that I was at one time, who is a very well-known, very well-respected and um, highly sought-after narrator, um, as as she said in this workshop, um, you know, you can take a, a few liberties with certain types of books, like you were saying, mm-hmm. nonfiction. She and and the way that she put it was, I mean, you know, who won World War II, and <laughs> and so you know, in certain situations, for certain reasons, you can do you can do a bit of skimming as opposed to actually reading right. the whole thing. But I always caution people against, yeah, the last thing you want to do is like not even look at it um, because. Yeah. That pronunciation thing, even a book about World War II, I mean, you're going to have all these place names that are going to oh, be, absolutely. how do I pronounce that? So Yeah, I mean, you're just going to be looking everything up and it's going to interrupt the flow of it rather yep. than having a list ready to go. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I, and not to say that cold reading isn't a skill that people should work on. You absolutely should, especially if you're doing commercial copy and even a lot of the character work, uh, because a lot of the stuff gets changed on the fly in the session. When you're when you're working, you know, so you'll you'll come in for uh, a commercial or uh, a commercial is a good example. And, you know, sometimes they'll send you the copy ahead of time and I say, oh, this is what we're doing. And then there's always some last minute edit or the the copywriters there and everything gets changed or they say, all right, we have this whole new campaign and we're going to do this. And you've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. So having cold reading as a skill is very, very important. Sure. I wouldn't want to hone that skill and, and give it its legs and get the most mileage out of it in audiobook narration. I, yeah. that's, that's not where you want to do it, <laughs> Definitely but you, not. <laughs> you need to be able to read copy and make it sound fresh and vibrant. And like, you're not reading it and that you know it and own it. You, that's a skill you do need. Yeah. Of course, you know, preferably in a, in a shorter format, yeah. but so you, know, you mentioned you mentioned earlier uh, some coaching that you had done. Is that something that you do on a regular basis? Is that uh, part of your business plan? It is not. I because I I I don't look at it coaching as a way to make money. It's not. I charge practically nothing. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but occasionally Just you and people me. people will ask me. Oh well, how do you do this? Or I need help with this. And I like to give back because I've been really really fortunate and and. My career has been fantastic and I, and I had people help me along the way and I want to be able to continue that to help when people, I am having trouble with this or I don't know how to navigate this particular facet of the industry. I, I love helping people, you know, and giving my perspective and trying to steer them to the resources that they need Mm -hmm. to, to be able to find a better chance of success because it can be very challenging and it can, it can be very cutthroat in many regards. And I, Mm -hmm. I try to leave it a little better than I found it. So I, I do coach. It's, it's, it's very rare these, especially now because I'm, you know, I do a lot of my own work and I don't really have the time for it. Maybe as I age <laughs> and I'll make it part of my, my plan to try to help more folks. So uh, for, get, so for right now, it's more, if people seek you out specifically, right, you, right. you might uh, see if maybe it's a good fit, but it's not something yeah. that you're like, yep, come and see me. Yeah, I don't, I don't advertise it. I, every then and again, I'll, I'll be, uh, sort of lurking on Reddit or somewhere like that. And, and, uh, someone will ask a question and then, you know, I, even my let my last coaching student, I, I found that way. I said, you know what, I'll, I'll help you out. You know, you're, you're, you have some good chops and you have a solid foundation. Let's tweak things and mm-hmm. I'll give you my perspective and experience and, and try to help you. That's cool. Uh, I, I love and, the giving back thing. Yeah. I, I think it's necessary because we want to, continue to grow as people and as 
uh, you know, again, cultivate and share happiness, right? So yeah. it's it, more of us need to be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so also in addition to the, uh, the coaching, I'm, I'm interested in, um, any advice that you might have specifically for people? I, I love the fact that you work primarily in audiobooks, but you also have, I mean, 70% is not everything. 30% is a pretty good chunk of, of effort that's being put on other things that are also voiceover, but that aren't audiobooks. And I know recently that some of the people that I interact with online frequently are, in addition to their audiobook career, which is doing well, they are making a foray out into other areas of voiceover. So I'm interested to hear what advice you would have to anybody who is or has been focusing on audiobooks, but is looking to expand and do other things. The reason that I'm asking, well, one of the reasons is because I look at it as a as a time problem. It's, mm-hmm. well, I'm doing all, I'm, you know, focusing all my energy on getting audiobook work and on narrating the audiobooks and on making those relationships in the audiobook world. How do I find the time to, uh, you know, go out into these other areas? So I'm interested in you, if you have any words of advice on how you can make that happen. Is it just a time management thing or, uh, or anything else? I do. I, I, and, and it's, it's a two part answer. So the first part is absolutely related to time that until we have cloning technology, there's, there's (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed there, you know, you, you have finite time. Time is, is your most valuable commodity right now. And it's an incredible resource to spend. And I, I just recently became a new father and I'm learning that firsthand. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. I've been trying. I, I figured out how to make it work. I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to get some sleep in a month or two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, fortunately, sleep sleeping is okay, so we're all right. All right, that's My, good. That's I was good. putting all that knowledge from those romance and erotica books to work. You know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I made a baby. <laughs> you know, but uh, so time is important, and and passion is a, a part of that. What? what drives you, what fulfills you. So some people say, well, I just want to do as much work as I can. But if you're not being fulfilled by the work you're doing, if you're going out and doing, you know, telephony and IVR and you say, oh, that sounds great. Oh, maybe I'll do some promo. I'll, I'll do some promo here and I'll work with some networks and doing that. And then I'll, I'll get some commercial work here. But if you don't really enjoy it, that's going to be part of the obstacle to making it really work. Uh, audiobook narrators are, in my opinion, a very specific part of the VO world. Of course, there's all these niches that we see, but because of the nature of audiobook narration being the, the time requirement and the, the, the rather specific VO skill set needed to be a, a competent, uh, decent narrator, that it, it doesn't necessarily leave a lot of room for other things. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to know that you're going to be working twice as hard to get half the results in other areas because you're, you're going to be wiped from doing your audiobook work. And some people are saying, well, I can't even book an audiobook. Well, maybe you need to focus and you need to figure out what, what needs to be done because there's it, everyone is unique and everyone's situation is unique and what, what they can do and, and where they can be. Mm-hmm. And my experience, and just for me, has been once I got up and running with audiobooks, I could just do audiobooks and have a wonderful career. But... I like the other facets, that other 30% 
I, that's what I, I also enjoy that as I enjoy that 30% as much, yeah. <laughs> 50% of the time, you know, so, so that's, that's what really drives me to, and pushes me to do that because I also need that diversity within it yeah. to, to keep me sane. So it is definitely a time you, you have to understand where your time is and where your energy and resources are being directed. But the, the components that make it work by and large, big picture are the same. You're, you're building those relationships, you're making those contacts and that network, and you're demonstrating that you can do the work. So that leads to the second part of the answer, which is a lot of times people just ask me, how can I do what you do? You know, you grew up in Philadelphia in the inner city, you're black, <gasps> don't tell anyone. And you, <laughs> you know, how do you do all of these things? And you, you came out and people said you couldn't do it and everybody said no. I said, yeah, that, that's true. And I, was able to find a way to make it happen. So I, I basically tried to qualify and quantify that to present to people, and I call it the sporth method, right? So, so when any anytime I call, I talk, or I'm on a panel, or I, you know, sometimes I talk in front of school kids to to drive and inspire them, and <laughs> I, I created the sporth method. So. The the quick, short, and dirty of the sporth method. It's just an idea of the things you need to better your chances of success in whatever you apply yourself for. So whether you're looking at doing audiobooks, whether you're looking at, you know, you want to do commercial copy, you, you're big into promo, you want to be the next big Don LaFontaine movie trailer person, uh, whatever it is, I, I distilled it down to the idea of sport. And what that is, real quick and dirty, just between you and me, Rich. Mm, nope, is, <laughs> nobody here, just you and me. Nobody, don't, don't let anybody know this is a secret, man. This could change <laughs> the world. This is like a Tesla coil, man. You know, and so uh, S, so it's sport. So S is for skill. So I, I think I even mentioned it previously. You need the skill to get in the door, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You have to be able to do what it is you're, you're attempting to do at a basic level. Right. So right now I just started dabbling with woodworking and, uh, cool. I love I'm woodworking. building. Oh yeah. Uh, it's whew, I don't know why I didn't come to it sooner. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm narrating a lot of audiobooks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm building the skill now because I need to, I need the skill to basically get in the door that I'm going to build. And <laughs> mm -hmm. so, but you need the skill. So you have to find out how to do that. And this is the, that's to get in the door. And this is the first part of it. So you have to build the skill, right? So, and that also ties into our idea of self-doubt and am I skilled enough? So all of these things are things that can be answered in specific circumstances. And really you have to answer for yourself, honestly. So once after the skill P is persistence. So in building the skill, you remain persistent. You don't give up. You fall down, you get back up again. Mm -hmm. You fall down, you get back up again. This is part of the learning process. Falling down is necessary. Failure is necessary. Failure is a, is a, it's a dirty word, but it is extremely necessary in the growth and evolution of achieving a goal. Yeah. That's how it's a, it's a metric. Well, right? that you didn't work. Fail. I'll do yeah. that. I'll do something different next time. <laughs> I'll do something different with my other arm <laughs> that's left, <laughs> you know? So, so so though all of those things and a lot of people are discouraged by failure, but failure is that's that's the lesson that's mm -hmm. teaching you. You only fail if you're not learning from why that happened. You know, why did that saw clear through my arm? So you're <laughs> you know, you 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 have to learn from it. So you need all that and you need to be persistent and that you keep getting up and you keep showing up and you keep doing it.
right? So mm -hmm. that's the P. O in the fourth method is opportunity. And it goes without saying, you need opportunities to display the skill and utilize it. But what isn't often said is that more often than not, you need to create the opportunity. So you, you can't just sit around waiting for things to happen. You have to go out and make it happen. So you pound the pavement, you send the emails, you knock on doors, you build the networks, you see the people, you put yourself out there. You, you basically become vulnerable in that way because a lot of people, ah, I don't know. You have to create the opportunities. They, some, will, some will start to show up. You know, it's, it's one of those great things where it can tend to be a snowball effect, but you have to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. So you can't expect it to be done by someone else. So you, you have to take that upon yourself. R, resources. Resources are what makes it go around. So resources are not just those tangible things like money and time <laughs> mm -hmm. that we talk about, but we also, we're building networks. We need a support group. We need a mentor, ideally, to help us navigate and to help us pull our head out of the clouds or our head out of our ass, whichever way it is, to make it <laughs> where, so where, that wherever it is, that's the wrong yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want it there. Let's uh, let's yeah. let's try to put it here and wipe your face off. Yeah, that's that's un, that's unbecoming. And you know, so you need to have these resources. And a lot of people neglect the fact that a support network. So some people will be surrounded by people that say, yeah, you can't do that. That's not going to work. Yeah, you're wasting your time. If that's all you hear, you start to internalize that too. Mm -hmm. You need someone who's going to say, yes, you can. You know, and I think that's a great idea. You should try it. Who knows what'll happen? Your arm may be able to be reattached, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, but you, you, so you need to find that positive momentum and positive support as well. So, and not just that, but of course you need, you'll need money because you, you'll probably need to do training and you want to build the skill and, oh, I need you to fly to, to San Diego to do blah, 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 or here's a workshop in New York and can you do it? Mm -hmm. So do you have the resources available to make that happen or, or how can you make that happen? Again, it's unique to everyone. Mm -hmm. So building those things, building that network and having all those ideas. So that's R for resources, T, time, Everything takes time. Very few things are lightning in a bottle and instantaneous. They are, they're wonderful when they are, but you cannot expect it. So it goes hand in hand with persistence. You will probably not be an overnight sensation. You have to be very willing. Very few to, are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and very few are and very few that are actually last mm. because they haven't built the foundation to withstand <laughs> the, the, the deluge that happens at that right. point. You know, so... It can happen, not to say that it can't, you know, all things are possible, but you want to be able to stack the deck in your favor. Mm -hmm. So you can't get into it thinking, oh, all right, tomorrow I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be on the Tonight Show. You know, it's, <laughs> eh, you know, it's, you have to, you have to pay your dues and do your time. It, there is truth in that. Yeah. And the, the final portion of the sporth method is H. So it's not just a bad lisp. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's hunger and hunger I find to be more important than even all of the other elements because it's sort of the overriding, overarching principle that if you're not hungry for what you're trying to do, you're not going to get back up when you fall down. You're not going to bother honing and polishing the skill to the point that it's at the in the range of the best that you can do. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to bother going out and spending all that time building the resources, working your network, making those relationships work. You're not going to bother 
spending the time really, because you, you don't really want it. It has to be something that it's, it's, you'll die without it. It's burning in you to achieve something that, that you're, you're driven. Mm-hmm. And when you have that hunger, man, it's, you can't stop. You, you just don't, you know, and that was something that, and some of us can try to fool ourselves and say, yeah, I, I want to do this. It seems cool. You know, you too can be a voice actor in three easy steps, <laughs> you know, and, but it's a lot of work yeah. and you will not, you will not want to do it. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and a lot of that work is not the actual work. Like you were saying earlier, it's the auditioning. That's the work and it's the building networks and relationships yeah. and all of that. Even now, you know, I, I have at plenty of admin work that I, that I do just to keep the business running and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, let's, let's, you know, it's not, that's not the fun stuff, but it's necessary. And you know, you, you have to be willing to, to, to go through that. And so there has to be a drive, a hunger, a fire, a desire that keeps you moving through that because if not, you'll give up and you'll, eh, eh, I didn't really need, eh, you know, so that's what I, I try to impart to people that no matter what you want to do, and that this extends beyond, of course, uh, voice acting and, and really anything creative at all, anything you want to accomplish in your life to try to stack the deck. I said, think of the sport method. It doesn't work for everyone. It worked for me. And that's how I, I, I try to embody what I did and, and what I'm still doing. But it, eh, you gotta, you have to have certain prereqs mm-hmm. <laughs> down to, to, just to, to have a good shot, not to say that you, you need them, but man, I'd really like to, you know, have as big an opportunity and as many aces in the deck ready for me to go as I can sure, to yeah. try to make the trailblazing that you're going to do a little easier. Yeah. Well, that is, that is great. I have not heard of the sport method before, and I'm very happy that I have. I may actually just write it down and tack it up in my office somewhere. Please do pass it on. You know, it just, it's a great way to just say, well, let me think about what I'm doing and how I'm going to do it and what I need to bring to the table, what I'm committing to really, you know, cause it seems like it's a lot of fun. I, a lot of folks, I want to be a voice actor too. How can I, what do I need to do? Yeah. What do I, who do I talk to? Who do I give my money to? You know, and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not just as with most things in life, unfortunately, folks, it's, it's not always that easy, yeah, but it's, it's rarely that easy. Yeah, but um, you can, you can maximize your chance for success with with a few easy steps and yeah. tricks. No, I'm, doctors I'm, hate him for this trick. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I I totally hear that. So uh, yeah. so that's great advice. I I think that uh, I will make use of that, and I uh, hope others will too. So Sean, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Online, they can usually find me. Uh, I have my website, which is seancrisden.com. Um, you can email me directly. I love communicating with folks. I, I have a ton of folks who I regularly just kind of kibbutz with. I have no idea who they are, but they ask me questions about voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> I love helping people. Yeah, that's Crisden at seancrisden.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Sean Crisden, uh, at Sean Crisden, which is my Twitter handle, or uh, Facebook. I'm on the Facebooks uh, with, you'd look up Sean Crisden. And it's my personal page. I didn't even make a crazy um, professional page, page or yeah. a business page. Eh, yeah. you know, what you see is what you get. You'll see pics of my son, me making barbecue, and uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my life. But I, I encourage people, you know, drop me a line, and, making, and I, I love networking. Making barbecue in the Sonoran Desert. So you just go out and put it on the sidewalk? Pretty much, you know, and it's funny because since I've been here and, you know, I do a lot of smoking, I, I'm a, I 
two smokers and a grill. And I said, man, in the dead of summer, this is great. Keeping a steady temp is actually, I'm like, whoa, I am really high. Yeah, easy <laughs> and, to know, do. Shoot, oh, yeah, you're <laughs> shooting way above your target. So it's yeah. adjusting. For it. But yeah, I, any anybody who wants to reach out or you have any questions about any of the stuff that I've lied to you about in this entire, <laughs> entire time I've talked, um, any, you know, I, I love interacting with people. I am a social misfit and a hermit, but I, I like trying to help people where I can. You know, you want to talk shop, love talking shop. Well, that's great. I, uh, I hope to do it in person sometime soon. I don't have Absolutely. any specific plans to go out to Phoenix. I was out there, uh, geez, what are we, end of July, about a month and a half ago. I, was, I mm-hmm. uh, spoke at one of the Romance Writers of America chapters oh, out yeah. there. Um, and so I don't get out there too often, but I will definitely, and I know that you're not all the way to Phoenix. And so, uh, one of these yep. days, hopefully sometime soon, we'll be able to, uh, to meet in person. For I, sure. I hope you are rehydrated at this point. I am done with my death in the Gulf stream. And I got to say, I, I like it. Uh, mm. did, didn't use it as a hangover cure, but, uh, I might try that someday. Although <laughs> I haven't had a hangover in a long time, so I don't know. Anyway, uh, good drink. I'll send you the recipe and you can give it Perfect. a try sometime. Love to. All right. Thanks a lot, Sean. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, good sir. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Sean Crisden for stopping by. I really enjoyed hearing about how audiobooks fit into his voiceover business and about his sporth method, and I hope you did too. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!